Alrighty, and we're recording. Welcome back to another bonus episode of the Collard Tech Directory podcast. It is the second episode. I am recording in a different space than I normally do, so the audio might sound a bit different. Hopefully that's okay. I don't think it will sound bad. It might just sound not the same as it was. Not necessarily that it's a bad thing or a good thing. But the reason I'm down here, I guess I'll start with that, is because I'm here with the dog. Yay! And the dog wanted to be down here. And because the dog wants to spend time with me, but also wants to be down here, then I have to be down here. So I'm down here with the dog. He's really cute. He's fighting off sleeping right now. You can see his eyes like slowly start to close, but then open again because he doesn't want to fall asleep because he wants to see what's going on, but he's tired. So anyway, I wanted to take some time in this episode to talk about what my plans are for this podcast, this bonus podcast thing, because... I wasn't expecting to have our second episode be this quick. And there are a couple reasons for that. But first, I want to talk about how the editing process went for the previous um, episode. Because I know at the beginning of the last episode, I had said, I'm not going to do any editing to this episode. And then towards the end, I was like, I might cut some things. I ended up spending about... 10 minutes editing that bonus episode, which is a very short amount of time compared to what I can spend editing. On a 30-minute podcast episode, which is way less time than the hour and a half I spent recording the last bonus episode, on those podcasts, I can spend like five or six hours editing easily. So... It still was quite a bit less work than the normal podcast episodes are, and it's only audio, so I don't have to worry about setting up a set or looking nice at all. Uh, I'm in my PJs, um, (laughs) so you're welcome for that visual. But yeah, I spent about 10 minutes editing. I just cut out some like awkward pauses and cut out some things that I didn't necessarily think were relevant or interesting. I went on a couple of very weird tangents. Not that I didn't do that during the last bonus episode, but there were some that were especially uninteresting that I spent way too to- way too much time talking about, so I just cut those. Um, you know, so that's basically the extent of the editing I did. I cut out pauses, cut out weird and long tangents, and yeah, it pretty much stayed exactly how it was when I recorded it. And I think now that I know what I'm editing out, I can do better with not doing those things in the actual recording, not taking as long pauses and not talking about weird things and going on too many tangents. So I think... The first episode has taught me a lot about what this needs to be and sort of how this should work. And another thing I learned is what topics would be good to talk about. One of the things I focused on in the last episode was news, Apple news specifically. And usually on the channel, I don't talk about Apple news like that because... Usually videos I do on it aren't as popular, and it just, I don't know. It happens way too frequently and is way too time-sensitive that it just really doesn't work for the format of videos and stuff like that that I do. However, with these bonus episodes, I can just sort of talk about whatever I want. So if I want to talk about news, I can do that because... 
These are on the podcast platforms and unlisted on YouTube. So it's not like I'm like sacrificing views or um, affecting the performance of this video because it's not supposed to perform well. I don't have that, I don't want to say pressure, but I don't have the expectation of it doing well or performing well or getting a lot of views. Like that's not what these are about. Not that any of my other videos are about that, although when I put them up, I do look at how many views they have and when they don't get as many views as typical videos do, I'm not happy about that. But it's not something that is super important, just it is a little bit. But with these, I don't have to worry about that. So, you know, with topics, I can basically talk about whatever I want, semi-related to Apple and the channel. So one of the first things I wanted to talk about is the October event slash October press release, because in the last episode, we talked about how there might not be an October event, and instead there would be a press release around the time that the event would have been to release some of these products. And there are actually quite a lot of products that we could possibly see at this event. First, we have the new MacBook Pros. Now, it is kind of early for Apple to be uh, releasing new versions of the MacBook Pro because we've only had the current generation with the M1 Pro and M1 Max for about a year. And I don't want to say as is typical with um, Apple Silicon refreshes because we don't really have a pattern that has emerged yet because we've only gotten two iterations of the MacBook Air and the 13-inch MacBook Pro. Everything else has only been updated once and in some cases not at all with Apple Silicon. So with the MacBook Air and MacBook Pros, that was about almost two years of a gap between the M1 generation and the M2 generation. The M1 MacBook Air and MacBook Pro came out in November of 2020, and the M2 MacBook Air and MacBook Pro came out in June of 2022 at WWDC. So that's about, if two years is 24 months, that's like 20 months. 21 months uh, in between, uh, maybe like 18 months or something like that. But anyway, that's uh, 18 to 20 months apart. So the MacBook Pros being released at an October event this month, uh, it's now October, which is kind of crazy. But the thing that's interesting about that is that the MacBook Pros haven't even been out for a full year at this point, and we're expecting them to get a refresh. And I think now that we've settled into the Apple Silicon transition, and we sort of have a rhythm of refreshes and updates, and Apple has sort of settled into Apple Silicon and isn't like actively trying to figure out how to implement their own chips into products. They already know how to do it. So I think with that in mind, we could expect refreshes to happen more frequently than they did in the M1 generation. Like it took two years to release all of the products that ended up getting the M1. We had the first Apple Silicon with the MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, and Mac Mini with M1 back in November of 2020, and then throughout 2021 and into 2022, we got updates to other products. We got the 24-inch iMac in April, then the MacBook Pros in the fall of 2021, and then in the spring of 2022, we got the Mac Studio. So it's taken a while <laughs> to get to this point. It's only been about every six months that we've gotten new Apple Silicon Macs. But I think 
those refreshes might happen closer together now because Apple is sort of now in the rhythm of updating um, devices with Apple Silicon. So instead of there being a one-year gap between when the MacBook Air gets the new chip and when the MacBook Pros, 14 and 16-inch, get the new chip, instead of that gap being a year, it could be more like six months, four months. So... And it also depends on like the order that they decide to refresh things in. Like last uh, time with the M1, we had the MacBook Air and MacBook Pro 13 inch that got the M1. And then six months later, instead of refreshing the MacBook Pros, they did the 24 inch iMac first. So that got the M1. And then they moved on to the MacBook Pros in fall of 2021. So Apple might also end up switching up the order that they refresh things, like how they refreshed the 24-inch iMac in between the MacBook Air and MacBook Pros. They might decide to refresh the 24-inch iMac in the spring of 2023. I can't believe it's already gonna be 2023 in like <laughs> three months. That's kind of crazy, whoa. Um, I wasn't really expecting that at all. And I wasn't expecting it to be October either. I was still in September mode. Now it's October mode. It's getting colder. And I, I like my shorts and my t-shirts and my flip-flops. And now I won't be able to wear those into the winter. So, sorry, that's me, um, crying over that. I'm not actually crying. I just got tears in my eyes because I yawned. That's unrelated. I didn't cry over that, okay? Don't shame me, okay? I I don't I don't need to take that from you, alright? I I've had enough. What what even was that? Okay. <laughs> so yeah, that's basically the MacBook Pro situation for the October event. It is kind of soon for those to be refreshed, but also Apple Silicon is picking up in speed of how fast Apple can bring chips to new devices now that they're in the flow of Apple Silicon for the Mac. So I don't think it's a long shot. I don't think it's something that is out of the blue uh, for Apple to do. I could totally see new MacBook Pros and an October event. I totally could not see Apple releasing these new MacBook Pros via a press release. That doesn't make any sense to me, but it's also rumored that there could be a press release. So let's move on. The Mac Mini is also rumored to come out at this October event or during an October press release, and the Mac Mini would basically just get the M2 chip that the MacBook Air and 13-inch MacBook Pro already have. So that's not a huge update. And last time around with the M1, the Mac Mini got updated at the same time as the MacBook Air and 13-inch MacBook Pro. So I think it does make sense at this point for the Mac Mini to be coming out. In fact, it's a bit late compared to when Apple usually would do it, I suppose. So the Mac Mini I could see coming out in a press release because it's gonna have the same chip as the um, MacBook Air that already came out. And the Mac Mini isn't rumored to get any sort of redesign or look any different, so it'll basically be just the same design with a chip that we've already seen. So that's not something that needs to be talked about in huge detail at an event. So I could see that being a press release. Like we talked about in the last bonus episode, they could do something like they did in 2019, where they announce an event, but also before the event, they release a couple extra products via a press release that they didn't have time to cover in the event. So I could see that happening this time around where 
maybe Apple were to release the Mac Mini and like the Apple TV at a press release that happens before the event. And then at the actual event, they might release the new MacBook Pros and the iPad Pros and the iPad 10. I don't necessarily think the iPad 10 deserves stage time. However, they've never released it via a site refresh before. All of the, I don't want to say boring, but yeah, I'm going to say boring. The boring budget iPad updates, all of them have had stage time at an event. They've never released them in a site refresh. So I don't see Apple deviating from that necessarily. So I think the iPad 10 will unfortunately get stage time. Um, the iPad 10 is supposed to get some sort of redesign though, which I think could justify its stage time over a press release. I think the iPad 10 is exciting if it were to gain that redesign with the flat edges, similar to the iPad Pro. It's not rumored to get rid of the home button. The front side is still supposed to look the same, but the body design is supposed to be different, and the back design supposedly will have new color options and a different camera design which will probably mean the camera's a bit better because the current iPad 9 doesn't have a great camera. It's fine, but it's basically the quality of the iPhone's front-facing camera. The front-facing camera, unlike the iPhone 14, is probably even better than the rear camera on the iPad 9. So just to give you an idea. I'm not sure if I talked about this in the previous episode, but I'm using voice memos to record this bonus episode, as I did with the previous one. And a cool feature of voice memos is that you can pause the recording and hit play or resume and pick up right where you left off. So you can like take a break if you need to without having to create multiple separate recordings, which is really nice. And you can, when you hit pause, scroll back and hit replace and then speak over something that you already recorded if you like messed up or something like that. Just five seconds ago, I did that exact thing because I stumbled over my words as I was trying to say what I just said. So that has been really useful with the Voice Memos app so that Right now, as I'm recording, I'm always, like, paranoid that when I mess something up, it's going to totally derail my thought process and what the narrative of what I was talking about. But since I can hit that replace button, which I actually just hit once again, I know that what I'm saying is exactly how I want it to be. So that, like, helps to reassure me. Now, in the editing process, I'm sure if I didn't do that, it would be fine. Like, you would still be under, you would still be able to understand what I was saying. Like, right now, there, I just messed up, as you saw, but I don't think it took too much away from the uh, episode. So, I'm trying to use self-control to leave that in, but... If I mess up like a big deal, I know that I can just quickly fix it in voice memos and keep going. And that way, when I finish, the editing process will be a lot easier for me. <laughs> so there we go. That's a little side tangent. Um, I also talked about the iPad 10 in the wrong order. So other October event slash press release possible announcements. We have the iPad Pros which aren't rumored to get anything too exciting besides the M2 chip, which I don't think is too exciting. I mean, it's better than the M1. I won't argue otherwise, but other than that, the iPad Pros aren't going to really be exciting, nor have they been exciting, especially because the iPad really doesn't have software that can take advantage of the performance that Apple is pushing it to have. And I think that's really unfortunate because I think the iPad has a lot of untapped potential. So, wah, wah. 
That's my iPad pity party for this episode. Expect one every episode. You'll hear me say it once. It'll come up somehow. Then we have the Apple TV, which isn't rumored to get anything too exciting besides like an A14 chip, which is why I could totally see Apple doing it as a press release and possibly a press release before an October event like they did back in March of 2019. I keep thinking about that and I'm like, that's one of the only times they've done that where they've released products via a press release and then had an event a couple weeks later because they just couldn't fit everything in there. But also that was the old Apple event style, I want to say, because that was before the pandemic and everything was in person. Since the pandemic, Apple's done virtual events, and recently, like at WWDC and at the September event, they did allow a select number of press and um, just people to come to the event, but I think Apple is still heavily leaning into the online format. At this point, that's where the majority of people are seeing it. So Apple can really control and craft how their event is delivered. And I think that's something that they really like. And it also allows them to pack a lot more announcements into a shorter amount of time. So that might get rid of the need for Apple to have a press release right before an event to release all the products that they want to release. So I think if Apple really tried, they could fit all of these announcements into an October event fairly easily and keep it like under 90 minutes. But also, there are a lot of products that Apple has yet to release this year. And the only reason I'm facilitating this idea of there being a press release before an October event is because it's rumored that there will be a press release instead of an October event, and I just don't think that's believable. So I'm sort of combining the two ideas that there will either be an October event or a press release and entertaining the idea that there could be both. Like, that's entirely possible. Apple has done that before. And yeah, I think it's sort of interesting to talk about what could happen because this is an interesting situation that Apple is in. So yeah, there we go. Other possible October event announcements we could see, or we probably will see, uh, the announcement of when macOS Ventura and iPadOS 16 will come out. It'll probably be sometime in October, and Apple will probably tell us at this October event or through this press release, when exactly in October that will be. So that's kind of exciting. I'm only talking about macOS Ventura when I say exciting, because iPadOS 16, hate to break it to you, but it's not that exciting. (laughs) So there we go. As far as a date, if Apple does an actual October event, I have two predictions for the date. The first is... October 18th. That's a Tuesday. That is the third Tuesday in October. Usually when Apple hosts an October event, it's not quite at the beginning of the month. Like with September events, they're usually towards the beginning, like in the first two weeks. But with October events, it's usually the last two weeks. Although in recent years, like during the pandemic when Apple has done virtual events, these October events have been a bit earlier in the month than, say, the 2018 October event, which I believe took place on October 31st. Upon further investigating that, I found out that it was October 30th, but still, that's like really late in the month versus more recent Apple events that have taken a place in October. In 2021, the event took place on October 18th, and in 2020, it was October 13th. So that's quite a bit earlier in the month. So one of my predictions for the event date is October 18th because that's 
not quite as early in the month as September events usually are. So it's like the third week of October and it's still in line with the fact that Apple usually holds events on Tuesdays. And yeah, so I could see Apple doing the 18th and the other date I could possibly see is October 12th, which is a Wednesday. So that goes against the um, Tuesday thing. But the reason I think that is because Indigenous Peoples Day is the 10th. So similar to how last month with the September event, Apple did it on the 7th, which is a Wednesday, instead of the 6th, which is a Tuesday, it's because on the 5th, which is a Monday, there was Labor Day. So Apple included that travel day on Tuesday so that people could be there for the event on Wednesday. And Apple did have a in-person component for that event, which is why they wanted to have that travel day. So if it is, if the October event is the second week of October, it will probably be the 12th as to include a travel day on the 11th because of Indigenous Peoples Day on the 10th. Hopefully that made sense. And if it is on the 12th, we could see an announcement as early as this Tuesday or Wednesday, the 4th or the 5th. Probably the 4th because the 5th is another holiday. There are so many holidays, guys. This is crazy. We had Rosh Hashanah last Monday, Yom Kippur this Wednesday, Indigenous Peoples Day next Monday, and then we have Diwali, Halloween on the 31st, which no one gets off for that, but Election Day, Veterans Day, Thanksgiving in November. I'm just listing off all the holidays that are coming up. So... I'm, I'm so smart. Anyway, that's basically it to talk about the October event. We've already, re we've already been recording for 27 minutes now. I can actually see the exact amount of time because I haven't, every time we paused, started a new recording. I can just hit pause on voice memos, which is very cool. So I want to tell you a bit of a story. Last night, I was in the family room, which is this room that I'm currently recording in. Uh, if you didn't catch the last episode, the family room is also where I recorded the first five episodes of the Collard Tech Directory podcast. So that bluish wall that you saw behind me in those first five episodes, that is where... I am right now. That is the family room. So I was in the family room last night and I had my phone and I saw in the corner next to Wi-Fi, instead of having the cell bars, it just said SOS. And I was very intrigued by this because my first thought is that this was relating to the emergency SOS feature with satellite that Apple just introduced. But I was like, wait a minute. That feature is only on the iPhone 14. Why am I seeing the SOS in the corner on the iPhone 13? So I looked it up and turns out that SOS in the corner doesn't necessarily have to do anything with emergency SOS for satellite. It just means you're not in close enough range to a cell tower to maintain high enough signal. So the only calls you can make are to emergency services. It still uses the cell towers, so it's not the satellite feature. It's just telling you your connection is not good enough that we're limiting you to emergency calls. And apparently that has existed I found evidence of it when I looked it up as early as 2018. I'm sure it existed before that, but that just happened to be what one of the first results was. So that has been debunked. I don't accidentally have emergency SOS for satellite on my iPhone 13. I am just an idiot. So that's my story time for this week. 
I guess. I feel weird saying that because I don't think this is going to end up being every week. I just found enough to talk about to make a second episode within a week of the first. So don't expect that pattern to persist. So now we have some news. Let's talk news. First, I'm going to go out of order of what I listed on here, just sort of by what I think is most exciting. And starting with the least exciting, getting up to the most exciting slash interesting slash thought-provoking. The first is Apple recently declared the iPhone 6 vintage. Apparently, the iPhone 6 Plus was declared vintage a couple months ago now, and now the iPhone 6 has been declared vintage by Apple. Apple has a page where they list all of their vintage and obsolete products, obsolete being worse than vintage as far as products become vintage first, and then as they get even older, then become obsolete. So the iPhone 6 has been declared vintage. The iPhone 6 got dropped support starting in iOS 13. So iOS 12 was the last version that the iPhone 6 got. So it has been unsupported since 2019. So it makes sense for years later that that's probably vintage by now, and the 6 is already 8 years old. Now, it'll be a while before the iPhone 6S is declared a vintage because despite that only being released one year after the iPhone 6, that got three years extra software support and was only dropped this year with iOS 16. So the 6S can still run iOS 15 versus the 6, which can only run iOS 12. So it'll probably be about three years from now that the iPhone 6S is declared vintage if Apple keeps the same pattern that they have been. So that's that story. Now let's talk about Apple's chip supplier, TSMC. So apparently, or not apparently, this did happen. TSMC has raised the prices for Apple to work with them to have TSMC produce their chips. And Apple rejected their price hikes. So basically, TSMC was like, hey, we need more money because we are struggling. So we're going to raise our prices. And Apple was just like, you know what? No, we refuse to pay more. So now, basically, I'm assuming what's going to happen is... Apple's just going to be able to continue paying the same amount they were before on these chips from TSMC. And the reason I'm saying that TSMC isn't going to just stop working with Apple is because both of the companies rely on each other. Pretty much all of Apple's chips that they make are made through TSMC, and Apple is one of the largest companies that TSMC works with and is the largest source of revenue for TSMC. So it doesn't make sense for either of them to stop working with each other. So even though TSMC wants to charge Apple a bit more because they need the money, I guess, Apple doesn't want to pay, therefore TSMC is not going to get the extra money. But also, TSMC needs to continue to work with Apple in order to survive as a company because Apple is one of their biggest clients. So, yeah, there we go. Now let's talk about the iPhone 14 Plus. When pre-orders first started for the iPhone 14 models, it seemed that the iPhone 14 Plus wasn't doing so well sales-wise or pre-order-wise because Apple was expecting, I suppose, with the introduction of a larger iPhone that costs less than the previous large iPhones did, 
that the iPhone 14 Plus would sell really well and gain a lot of pre-orders really quickly. But that did not happen. But I think the reason why is because people who are buying the regular iPhone model don't necessarily buy it and don't necessarily pre-order it right when it comes out. It's throughout the year. As people are looking for an iPhone upgrade, they see what's available and buy that because they aren't obsessed with Apple like me or I'm assuming you. If you've gotten 35 minutes into a bonus podcast about Apple. So the average person isn't going to buy the iPhone 14 at pre-order or at launch. So it doesn't necessarily surprise me that the iPhone 14 Plus didn't gain substantial pre-orders. But the thing that is interesting is that the iPhone 13 mini gained more pre-orders than the iPhone 14 Plus did. So that is something to keep in mind. I suppose that is evidence that the iPhone 14 Plus might be doing slightly worse than the iPhone 13 mini did last year, but I don't necessarily think that's gonna be an indicator of how well it's gonna sell throughout the year. However, I think, yeah, this Friday, October 7th, is when the iPhone 14 Plus officially launches. So people will be able to get their hands on it, test it out, and whoever pre-ordered it will start to see it shipped to them, and the pre-order period will end, and it'll just be available to buy starting this Friday. So I guess at that point, we will see how well it actually does, how well it sells, and I think we need to look at the picture of the entire year because I don't think the first couple of weeks of pre-orders or the first couple of weeks of it being available will be a good indicator of how well it'll do. I think we need to see it out for the entire year because people don't necessarily buy the new iPhone right in September. They buy the new iPhone when they need a new iPhone, which is at any point throughout the year. So that's my rant on the iPhone 14 Plus. Another news story related to the iPhone 14 Plus, supposedly, or not supposedly, because I found this for myself. I didn't, I wasn't the first to discover this, but when I read the article, I was able to fact check this myself by just going to Apple's website. So on Apple's website, there is a support document titled Identify Your iPhone Model. If you just Google search that, identify your iPhone model, it should be the first result. There it is. So there is a picture of each iPhone model along with its name and some specs about it. You can scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page and you will get to the original iPhone. So if you go up all the way to the top, it starts with the iPhone 14 Pro Max. So we have iPhone 14 Pro Max, iPhone 14 Pro, and then iPhone 14 and iPhone 14 Plus. If you take the image of the iPhone 14 Plus that is directly below it and save it somewhere or are somehow able to access what the name of that file is, you'll see the name of the file was iPhone 14 Max. Since that article has come out, Apple, I guess, has fixed it because I'm looking at it right now. It now says iPhone 14 Plus and is labeled correctly. However, last week, that was not the case. I was actually expecting it to still be there, but I guess Apple has fixed it by now. I didn't check that before I started recording. But if you search up that article, if you just search up iPhone 14 Max original name, it should come up with an article. Yeah, the second um, article that it lists in that Google search is from Mac Rumors, where I originally found this. Apple's website suggests iPhone 14 Plus was originally going to be named iPhone 14 Max. And if you look at that screenshot that is further down in the article, you can see the 
the name of that file is iPhone 14 Max colors instead of iPhone 14 Plus colors. But since then, I suppose Apple has fixed it. There's also a page. I haven't, I've never checked this page. A page that provides compliance and regulatory information for their products. So now on that page, the iPhone 14 Plus is listed with its correct name. Previously, it said iPhone 14 Max, but I think since these articles have come out about this, Apple has gone and fixed this on their website. But for a couple days between when that article was released, uh, a couple days after that, you could still go and look and see that. So that's a fun thing. I suppose you could use the Wayback Machine and go to the Identify Your iPhone model page from a couple days ago or like last week and try to save that image and hopefully it's named that. I don't know if Wayback Machine saves the names of images on sites so that when you download them, they have the actual name that they were originally named on the web page. Or if you can even save images like that from the Wayback Machine. But anyway, that's an interesting thing. And then the most interesting slash exciting slash thought-provoking thing is the fact that Apple has extended stage manager support to all iPad models with the A12X and A12Z. So that's basically any iPad Pro model from 2018 or later. Previously, stage manager was limited to M1 iPads, which was absolutely ridiculous. There's absolutely no reason to lock that feature only to the M1. The A12X and A12Z can easily handle it, and maybe even some earlier chips than that. But I suppose Apple listened because they, I guess, agreed and allowed a stage manager to be extended to those devices. So that is nice. However, I still don't think stage manager is that pro of a feature for an iPad you're charging over $1,000 for. Anyway, there's also the new display zoom feature, which is a nice feature if you want to be able to see more or less text on your screen, um, similar to how the Mac has display zoom. So they're listening a little bit to giving us Mac features, but not necessarily the most important ones. But Apple also... Um, this week with a new iPadOS 16 beta, extended display zoom to A12X and A12Z 11 inch models of the iPad Pro. So basically any 2018 iPad Pro model or later with an 11 inch display. The 12.9 inch display models don't get display zoom unless you have an M1, which doesn't make any sense they're giving the feature to older models that have a smaller display, but the models with a bigger display from those same years don't get that feature. That doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't get that. So there we go. I feel like the vibe of this episode is a lot different than the previous episode. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just something I noticed. The vibe is a bit different, I think. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm thinking more about not messing up, so I have less to edit. But, you know. Here are some thoughts I have on iOS 16, because iOS 16 has been out for about three or four weeks now, and I like it a lot. Um, I wanted to talk about four features specifically that I really appreciate. The first is the lock screen changes. The lock screen looks really good, and you can have a blurred version of your lock screen on your home screen as well, which is really nice, so that you can do the matchy-matchy and still be able to read the text on your home screen. I like that a lot. Very often, I will choose a darker, I will just edit the photo so that it's slightly darker when I set it on both the lock screen and the home screen. That way on the home screen, I can see my text a bit better. 
However, with iOS 16, you can have a blurred version of your lock screen on your home screen. That way you don't have to include a darker or dimmer version of your wallpaper in order to set it on both. You can just have a blurred home screen. That way you can see your stuff better, but on your lock screen, it's still a nice, vibrant picture. I like that a lot. And the fonts are really nice as well. I love how you can link a focus. I personally haven't done that because I don't necessarily find myself desiring a different lock screen at different times of the day or when I have a different focus enabled, but that is still a nice feature. So overall, all of the lock screen changes, I love the customization and all of that. All of it is just really nice to see and is really appreciated by me. So now let's talk about some of the messages features. The undo send and the edit message features are really cool. I haven't used them in serious cases where I've genuinely messed something up or genuinely sent a text I didn't mean to send. I've only really used it to try out and to use it just to be able to have used it. It does work really well. I just don't think I'm gonna be able to break the habit of when I mess up or do a typo in a message just sending a follow-up message with an asterisk and the correction. But either way, the undo send and edit message features are nice to see. I also really appreciate the introduction of undo send and scheduled send and rich links and mail. I haven't really gotten to try them out yet because I don't have macOS Ventura yet. macOS Ventura hasn't been released yet, so I can't try out those features on my Mac, which is usually where I um, send most of my mail. So I haven't seen the features yet on my main computer. I have seen them in the partition with the macOS Ventura beta back when I did that video. So I have seen the feature, but I haven't tested it out with my workflow yet. So that will be interesting to see. macOS Ventura should come out sometime in October. But yeah, the mail features are really nice. One of my favorite features is lift subject from background. I just love how easy it is to press and hold on an image with a subject and just copy that subject and then it'll paste a transparent image where the background is transparent and it just has your subject. I love that so much and it's really great for video thumbnails. I haven't used it for video thumbnails yet, but I probably will in the future. I could totally see myself doing that. And overall, lift subject from background is just really great to play around with, with random images to just see how it works. And it does work really well. Uh, sometimes if the photo is really blurry or it can't detect a subject that well, it's harder, but most of the time, it's fairly reliable and works pretty well. So I'm happy with that feature. And that pretty much brings us to the end of the list of discussion points I had for today. Unfortunately, we didn't make it to the full hour that we usually make it to with these episodes. We could spend an extra 10-ish minutes talking about something random if you want to get to that hour mark. Okay, here we go. There are some new news stories from Mark Gurman in his Power On newsletter for Bloomberg. These news stories literally came out for me just 30 minutes ago. It'll be a couple hours ago for you by the time this comes out. But Apple event this October remains unlikely. No Touch ID for iPhone 15. So Apple is supposedly developing new iPad Pro, Mac, and Apple TV models, all of which we talked about in possible October event announcements. And at least some of them, according to German, will be released in October. But German still doesn't think there will be an October event this month, as he reported last week and as we talked about on the episode last week. I still think it is possible that Apple could do a site refresh. I just think not all of the products that Apple has planned would make sense in a site refresh. Some of them are just too exciting to not have an event for. So I still don't necessarily fully believe that rumor. 
Gurman says that the unveiling of the iPhone 14 last month was probably the last major presentation for Apple in 2022. So he's suggesting that any future products that come out this year will be announced with a press release and updates to the online store rather than an event. I still don't think that's necessarily going to be the case, but we'll see, I suppose. Gurman has also given some insight on the possibility of the iPhone 15 gaining Touch ID, or I suppose the impossibility, because Gurman is in fact saying that the iPhone 15 will not have Touch ID, whether that's in the power button or underneath the display. I think the latter makes a bit more sense for the iPhone 15, especially the pro iPhone, if Apple were to do it, but it seems like Gurman doesn't think so. However, Gurman can envision a new iPhone SE with a Touch ID power button on the side, but he, quote, hasn't heard anything about that actually being in the pipeline. That whole thing that I just read is from the Mac Rumors article about this, because I just found this out, so I'm reading this along with you guys. So this is also an exact quote from the Mac Rumors article. Another tidbit mentioned in Gurman's newsletter is that Apple apparently tested sleep tracking functionality for the HomePod. It's unclear which model, but he does not expect this feature to be rolled out to the public anytime soon, if ever. So apparently the HomePod was tested with sleep tracking. Sleep tracking is already on the Apple Watch, and supposedly certain models of the HomePod were also tested to gain this functionality, but it looks like Apple has pulled the plug on that. As Apple does with a lot of things it tests out, Apple just tests things out to see if they will work, and very often they don't, and very often they don't make sense to be introduced as features, especially if they cost a lot of money to produce or time to engineer. So. This is just another one of those things that Apple has tested that won't see the light of day. So that is kind of interesting. So yeah, that's the report from Mark Gurman this week that we just recently received. And yeah, I think that is going to do it for this bonus episode of the podcast. We didn't quite make it to an hour, but I think... This was a fun one, and I think it is a lot more concise now that I have sort of gotten in the rhythm of it and I have used the features and voice memos to redo things when I mess up. So, yeah. I also had a lot of fun uh, reading the report from Mark Gurman in real time with you guys. I, I hadn't seen it before starting recording, and it, in fact, came out while I was recording. So that is kind of interesting to see. Uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I certainly enjoyed making it and I will see you in the next one. Bye. And that's the end. You can go now. Why are you still here? I don't understand. I said bye. So leave. Get out of here. Go. I don't... Go do whatever you do on a Sunday slash Monday or whatever day of the week you happen to be um, listening to this. Go, go, shoo, shoo.